This is North Texas Cycling Monthly. Hey Crickets, it's John. This is episode 12, released in June 2020. Hope the podcast has been a welcome companion during an otherwise strange year where the large majority of t-shirt rides have been canceled thanks to this pandemic we call COVID-19. Remember, you can still sign up for the Hotter and Hell 100, which will be ridden in virtual form this year at the location of your choice. By signing up, you support the organization as they prepare for the 40th anniversary ride in 2021. Many of the nation's podcast hosts have taken some time to speak on the recent events across our nation in the wake of the death of George Floyd while in custody of Minneapolis police. I plan on sharing my thoughts on this matter, but I did not want to distract from our wonderful interview with Coach Zamastil, uh, which we'll pick up here in a little bit. My current plan is to share my thoughts on racism in America within the context of our Declaration of Independence on July 4th. If you have commentary you'd like to share, our email address is northtexascycling at gmail.com. I would especially love to hear from cyclists of color on what your experience is in Texas and Oklahoma, and if you wish, I will read your message during the podcast. Speaking of which, we got an email since our last episode. It reads, quote, We love your podcasts, and we're listening on our way to the uh, Reno-Lake Tahoe area. And I'd like to thank Mr. and Mrs. Dryberg from Lawton, Oklahoma, for that kind message. There are a few t-shirt rides on the calendar. Um, the first organized ride I ever did uh, the Tour de Gap in Buffalo Gap, Texas. It plans to run Saturday, July 25th. It has routes of 11 miles, 50K and 100K. Now, they will not have a mass start, and the registration, the packet pickup, rest stop, and award procedures have been changed to minimize contact per CDC recommendations. Uh, also, the Tour of the Wichita's typically run in June has been scheduled for Saturday, September 19th. I rode this ride last year. I believe it started in uh, it started on Fort Sill and you ride through a good portion of the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge depending on the route you choose. I did 50 miles, uh, nearly 2,000 feet of climb, but I'll be honest with you, uh, please take any opportunity you can to ride in this part of the region. Um, I don't know that it gets any better as far as the combination of tarmac, quality tarmac, scenery, fun hills, challenging hills, but fun hills. It really is a tremendous ride uh, in the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge. Also, the Rock Island Ride. It is scheduled um, the first October, I'm sorry, the first Saturday in October, which is the same day as the rescheduled Munster ride. Now, the Rock Island ride is in Chickasha, Oklahoma. I rode this ride in the fall of 2018, and um, I was not expecting the hills about 20 miles into the ride. And this was far and away the most challenging ride I have done in the state of Oklahoma. In fact, it might be one of the most challenging t-shirt rides I have ever done. Uh, so if you are looking for that challenge, look no farther than the Rock Island ride in um, Chickasha, Oklahoma. Again, that's the first Saturday in October. 
If you're aware of a ride in the area that has not been canceled, please let us know. I hope you're ready for the second part of our interview with MSU Texas cycling coach Charlie Zamistil. After speaking with him, I wanted to be on his team, and I hope you feel the same way. So is it common is it common for riders to come to the team with some bad habits that you might have to weed out or some habits they've developed that they think that they might be benefiting from or maybe some lazy riding habits that you've had to weed out? Um, you know, I can't really think of anyone that has been um, like uh, to the point where it was a problem. I think the most uh, frequent, I guess, issue I think that uh, that we encounter with the team is the the sensation of being burnt out, um, mm. and then coupled couple that with the distractions of college. So, eighteen year old kid who's never been alone um, on in their lives, uh, you know, getting to college where there's no supervision and no curfew, yeah. and mm-hmm. dad is not there, you know demanding that you train every single day or something like that um you know they can fall into some bad habits as far as you know sleeping at two only going to sleep at two in the morning uh waking up late and you know barely having time to uh to train because of their homework and their class schedule because they're playing call of duty until all hours of the night um and then uh eating just the the tendency you know the Freshman 15 cyclists aren't immune to that. So when they come to the, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're living off that cafeteria food sometimes where it's buffet style. Um, and just, uh, I know a lot of folks from, from international or from, you know, from other countries have, have commented on just whatever they watch what they eat and they're limiting their quantities, but just their body is not used to the sort of American diet. And so they put on some, some extra body fat when they first arrive. But by and large, I mean, I think the approach that I take when recruiting, uh, the very first question that I ask um, of other people about them is, are they a good person? Uh, I'm, I'm more interested in getting people who are interested in getting an education while racing their bike and being part of a team yeah. than someone whose goal is to get individual accolades and just want someone to, to pay for them while they do that. Um, and doesn't care about the team philosophy and the <clears throat> contributing to, you know, overall success of, of the university. Um, you know, that, uh, that approach, those questions that I ask, I think weeds out the, the prima donnas for the most part and the people that aren't good team players. Uh, earlier in the, earlier in the interview, you mentioned, uh, you know, being able to having the luxury of being able to provide a team member, a, a bike, if he or she didn't have one, um, are, do you have a budget that's, uh, you know, handsome enough to where you have funds for maintenance repair? Do, do team members essentially become their own maintainers and, and mechanics, stuff like that? To a large extent, they are expected to keep up the, you know, if we're given, giving them a team bike, they have to take care of it and they're responsible for the maintenance. I wish that we could, you know, and just have an unlimited budget where when they wear out a chain because they've put 2,500 miles or 3,000 miles in service to performing well for us, um, you know, 
chains aren't cheap. Um, tight new tires and new tubes, uh, none of that is cheap, especially when they're you know there to ride their bike and train and don't have time for a campus job on top of all of their other responsibilities. Um, a lot of them don't have parental support, or they came here from from other countries, and it's very difficult to send money to begin with because of the international transfers and everything else. Um, but no, I mean our budget could could be bigger, definitely. Um, but uh, we have a lot of really generous supporters here in the community, um, and you know whether it's being able to let us borrow a frame or you know give an old helmet or. Uh, set of shoes to someone who needs it um, yeah you know they've been really good to us but yeah i would uh i would love to to double our budget in a way that lets us um you know keep up the equipment and maintain the equipment on top of you know making it so they don't have to sleep for a room <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the, bud the budget could always be bigger i don't want to sound like i'm i'm complaining about the level of support we get from the university um because it is great but um there are there are, you know, shortcomings in the budget that I would love to love to fill. Do you rely on sponsorships? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, whether it's um, the in-kind sponsorship that we get from Endurance House, which is just tremendous. I mean, for the most part, they don't charge us for for labor unless it's really time intensive or for yeah. asking for a rush job. But they're willing to bump us to the front of the queue. They look... Uh, look after us even when you know it's not asked if someone just comes in there they're like hey let me take a look at the bike I just want to make sure it's it's working properly um, you know and then uh, a substantial discount on merchandise you know they're in supporting us they're where we buy a lot of things from them but they're not really making making much money out of this um, Mark and Jimmy and Sean and everyone else over there um, you know they're they're after our best interests they're not looking to to turn a profit off of the relationship with the team. And uh, frankly, um, Mark has been great about hiring a lot of our students. So Pablo works there. Sean was a student. He works there. Ramon, Ben, yeah. um, Bricia, Pablo, student after student after student ends up, uh, ends up getting a job there. And Mark trusts um, that if it's, it's one of my kids that they are um, going to be a, you know, a solid worker and a reliable employee. I I think uh, I think Charlie that those guys are really just a an extension kind of a reflection of the Wichita Falls cycling community as a whole. They just they're, they they're just people of tremendous spirit and heart and giving, and it seems like they're always prepared to, you know, help wherever help is needed. Yeah, yeah, I one hundred percent agree. I think this is um, a community of just the most. Uh, generous and, and empathetic people that, uh, that you can find. So are, is Charlie, uh, an army of one? Uh, do you have assistance? Uh, well, I have a supervisor in, uh, Frank Wyatt. Uh, he's someone I go to when we're, when we're back in the office, I see him just about every day. Um, and he's, he's a, you know, a rock, you know, he's a pillar of support when I'm frustrated about something, I can go and talk to him, I can bounce ideas off of him, whether it's about fundraising, or morale boosters of the team, or how we should spend our budget. Uh, he's, he's been there for me time and time again. But when it comes to um, on the ground stuff, you know, driving the van and everything else, um, that's all me. Um, 
I have on occasion enlisted the help of graduate students because we don't all fit in one van uh, most years. And so we are able to employ them, so to speak, as a driver. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just me out there. So if uh, I've got to stay, you know, that uh, I used to jump in and, and tailgun the, the races a little bit to get a little exercise and, and, you know, see how my guys are doing in the middle of it. Um, especially this year, since uh, I thought about doing that since I was a full-time student in the spring. Uh, taking taking nine credit hours at the graduate level, but the back of my mind is always, man, if I go down and break a collarbone, uh, there's no one to look after these guys, and so I end up yeah. not doing that. And maybe I'll I'll jump. I jumped in and, and did a time trial, but uh, yeah, it's it's up to me to take care of them every weekend. So I'm on the road, thirteen or fourteen uh, weekends a year. I want to talk about 2020 specifically here in just a bit. Uh, but for those of us that don't really know what a collegiate cycling uh, season looks like, uh, do you complete? Uh, do you compete throughout the year, or how does that go? Yeah, so the summer is technically the track season. Um, so a lot of that, um, the prep work is either done at home or you know through the summer months when they're not uh, not on campus, so they can go to Houston and train, and they used to be able to go to Dallas and train, or I've even sent a couple people out to uh, Trexler Town near Allentown, Pennsylvania, T-Town as it's called, which is like the wow. one of the top uh, racing destinations for track cyclists in the world. I mean, that's Team New Zealand, Team Australia, Team Germany. They will come and race summers at T-Town. So the Friday night's there. Wow. Was, that was my track where I raced, but I never got to that competitive on the Friday night level. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was the destination. So I sent a couple Australians there one summer, and they stayed with um, friends of mine that I reached out to, and was like, "Hey, would you be willing to host a cyclist uh, from June until August or so? Uh, they got a lot of talent on the track, and I know you go to the track and race." Uh, and they were generous enough to do so. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that national championship wraps up usually two weeks or so after Hotter and Hell. So middle of September, uh, and then while they're racing nationals on the track, that's usually when the conference season for mountain bike starts. Uh, and so it's a quick turnaround with that. And mountain biking goes all September into October, and then middle to late October will be the national championship there. And then once that is done, there's cyclocross in November and the championship in December. And then after the winter break, uh, we pretty much get going with the road season in February. And so depending on the disciplines that we have people competing and who's doing what, um, it's essentially a, a year-round sport. Um, so are there one or two events each season that you circle on the calendar that you just want to crush the competition I mean, it, it really boils down to performing well at, at nationals. Um, that's that's what we are doing the regular season for. It's kind of like the playoffs where you just got to get there and perform at your best once you're there. And so we don't necessarily try to win every single conference race if there's a trade-off between winning and getting the best possible preparation. So when we go to conference races with 
you know, when we have a big A squad like we did this year, eight guys out of a field of 15, we could probably win that just by sheer volume of racers and number of attacks and everything else. But that's not what we can do when we go to a national championship because there are guys, you know, as many guys racing and as strong as we are. And so you can't use the same tactics to win a national championship that you would use to win a, a race where you have half the field. And so I would rather we do the sort of racing and, and tactics and strategies uh, that we would use at nationals. And if that doesn't work, um, you know, because it's, it's different, it's going to play out differently in a smaller field, then okay, but did we follow the strategy? Does it make sense? Do we see why this would work well, you know, in a bigger race? And so we lost some road races this year that we probably could have won if we raced it a different way. But we needed mm -hmm. to race it a certain way because that's how we have to race, you know, at, at the higher level. So now we come to 2020. Um, just share, just when you look back on 2020, um, what's going to come to mind? Just share some thoughts on what it's been so far. It's, I mean, it's just so disappointing given all of the work that we put in. Because, like I said, it's a it's a year round competition. You know, we did our we did hotter than hell, and then two weeks later we were racing, or well, one week later we were racing on the track in Houston. And then another week later, we were in South Carolina racing track nationals. And we did pretty well there. Had a couple podiums with Andre and Zach. Um, they looked really, really good. And that was a great start into the, their off season where they would be doing a lot of base miles together. Um, meanwhile, I switched over to focus with the, the mountain bikers. And we had Pablo uh, and Alan and Reed all doing mountain bike. And every single weekend from the weekend after track nationals until end of October, we were camping somewhere and, and racing mountain bike races. And they were doing super, super well and went out to California and had a pretty solid national championship. Although the altitude, uh, kind of bit us in the butt a little bit since it was set at yeah 6,000 feet and <laughs> we're in Texas. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was pretty rough. Um, Reed got sick while he was there, and Alan was racing out of his mind, and then had a, his asthma got him at the very top of the climb. He just uh, uh, oh, no. his lungs closed up, and Pablo was our top guy, and he was racing top twenty when his his chain dropped. I think both times on both laps on the descent, oh, so I had some goodness. disappointments in that. But that was just you know fuel for the fire to go jump into the cross season, and so we had our off road guys doing cross as well, and then. You know, before we knew it, the semester was over and, uh, you know, we kind of scattered to the wind a little bit to do our, our winter base miles. Um, so Pablo and Andre went back to um, Honduras where Pablo lives. Uh, Andre was from Slovakia, but uh, it was much cheaper for him to go train over the holiday in Honduras than it was to fly home, interestingly enough. Um, so, but he ended up uh, crashing and uh, descending down a mountain. He had a pothole and had some really bad injuries and had to go home for the spring and, oh, and no. recover and get some surgery on his on his teeth because you don't want to land the way he did at 40 miles an hour um unfortunately oh my God. yeah cycling is a brutal sport um mm. but yeah i mean it was essentially non-stop for me and for you know the guys and girls on the team uh there was no real rest in between disciplines you know maybe a, a week week and a half where you laid low and then it's right back to right back to work 
and you know really we were super well prepared i think for the road national championship which you know even though we we treat all the disciplines equally and they get the same support our biggest team is by far our road squad and most attention just from usa cycling's resources and the sheer number of people that compete at it road is the the marquee discipline when it comes to collegiate cycling it's the most well developed and established the most number yeah. of teams and everything else and to have that you know stripped away when i was certain that we were going to win at least an, one national championship with the time trial we probably were going to get on the podium for the team time trial and i think we were had a couple guys that were odds on favorite for the the road race and the criterium I and mean, this was one of the strongest teams i compared it a lot to our 2016 squad when we had Oh, man, I mean, we had Stefan win two out of or three out of the four competitions there, and our team time trial got second, and our women team time trial got second, and we just had an absolute killer year. And this was this was a year that was gonna gonna look like that, and we're yeah. losing some of that talent to to graduation, which is a bummer. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously, the the team accolades are great, but I really feel bad for the the people who they did all of that work, and it's like. Well, now what? You know, can't even uh, can't even walk the graduation. It's, I uh, I read in the paper, newspaper article, uh, what two three weeks ago that uh, some of the team members were um, actually had become essentially bike messengers here in Wichita Falls. Is that did I read that correctly? Yeah, that was the idea. Um, we didn't do a whole ton of deliveries, uh, even though we put ourselves out there. It only ended up being a handful, um, though we're still willing to do it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the basic idea was, hey, it's it's not great for people to to go out, particularly if they have you know comorbidities or, or, or pre existing conditions, or if they're older with this coronavirus. And my thought was, well, you know, we're younger, we're healthier, um, and being on the bike, uh, you know, it's a in, uh, what's it called? A blanking on the term. Oh, it's an immune system booster exercise. Right. Um, and it's a great way to get around town. And I didn't want anyone riding too far out of town for fear of putting strain on rural medical systems. Um, you know, should should something happen where they were they were hurt and they were out of town, um, it could be a while before they could be seen if our hospitals got inundated with coronavirus patients. And so I, yes. I asked all the team to train solo and to train, you know, mostly local. So a lot of riding on the trail, but you can only ride the trail so many times before you get really sick of it. And um, mm-hmm. so a great way of, of you know, getting um, almost like interval training is to ride through the city. If you sprint between stoplights yeah. and everything else, obeying laws, of course. But, um, you know, that was a, there were some bike messengers in Philadelphia who were, incredible when they made the transition from bike messenger to bike racer it's like holy cow they're already a cat three and you know they've literally like never raced but they jumped through the ranks really quickly because of all the time they spent on the bike um you know a great example from msu was jen purcell she'd been a bike messenger in austin and you know second year of racing i think she wins the national criterium championship and so it was a way we could do some good for the community and and still train and make training more interesting and more fun. Let's uh, finish with a final question. That's uh, just tell me about some current and past riders who have 
made big impressions on you? Oh man, uh, I'm gonna feel terrible for anyone I leave out. Um, but yeah, been, I understand. I, you know, there have been so many. Um, I I maintain a strong relationship with a lot of them. I mean, it was in the last couple of years I've been to three or four of their weddings. Um, uh, let me think. It was a groomsman actually in one of them. Um, I had uh, yeah, I'm still in frequent touch with um, the Goitia brothers two of my, uh, two of my favorite people ever. And they were, um, they were about to graduate or Fidel, the older one was about to graduate when I first showed up. Um, but he and his brother were just, um, you know, their, the closeness of their family and their support of the team. Um, particularly Eric, he was someone who, when he was on the team, he kind of gave up on training. He got that burnout and he was an engineering student. So he was always swamped with homework and research projects and everything else. Um, but he, he found a way to contribute to the team in other ways. Um, you know, he sort of stepped up and became that, um, you know, assistant coach sort of person, um, driving the van or helping me coordinate things and helping me do logistical things and, and not, because he was getting paid for it, but because he wanted to support the team and knew that the team had done a lot for him and he couldn't give back in any way athletically, but, um, he gave back in, in other ways and kind of served as like a big brother figure to a lot of people. when um, when they first arrived from, from overseas, for example. So Eric Goitia is definitely, um, you know, and I'm, I think I was in touch with him as recently as a week ago, I was planning on hosting him. He was coming to, he's been trying to train again and was going to come to Hotter and Hell. Uh, and he's going to stay at my house when he did so. Um, I've kept up coaching a couple of them, John Paul Blanton, for a few years, even after he left MSU. Uh, Corey Scott, um, he was someone who, he arrived in, in Texas almost the same week as I did. As a, as a graduate student, he was pretty close to my age and we had both raced in the East coast. Apparently I think he found out we had raced against each other one time. <laughs> I, you know, wouldn't have remembered him or known him, but, um, he yeah. was, uh, this incredible athlete, but also just a really, really good person. Um, and he met his, his now wife and, um, in the exercise physiology program, he worked uh, his advisor was Dr. Wyatt, who is now my supervisor. And so the three of us have a text chain together. And um, he's he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, Cameron Lowry, I mentioned him as a BMX rider. Uh, he contacts me every year. Hey, how can I help with Hotter and Hell? Um, you know, lent me a cooler last year for our registration room because we had nowhere to keep any, any cold water. Um, you know, he, he's driven a wheel truck for me a few times. Um, and it's nice to have that network of people too, because they've spread out across the country. And sometimes I can find out like, Hey, there's this person in, in out of Virginia, Roanoke, uh, Zach Gregg, he was from Roanoke, Virginia. And Corey's now out in Richmond. I was like, Hey, have you, have you heard this name? What do you know about this guy? He's like, Oh, Zach Gregg. Yeah. Everyone knows Zach Gregg. He's a beast. It's like, okay, maybe this is someone I want on the team. And then if they know the person, I can be like, yeah, so are they are they a good person? You know, are they nice? Do they do they have a good reputation in the Peloton and everything else? So I mean that's just you know, some some names that, that first come to mind. But um, you know, I refer to all of my, my students when I'm talking about them, or all my all my cyclists. Uh, probably the term I use the most is my kids. 
um, you know, Lucy and I, my wife, uh, we don't have kids. Um, mm-hmm. so our, our attention, my attention goes to treating them like, like part of my family. I had someone over just this morning. Um, she doesn't have a, a power meter, but I wanted to teach her a little bit about power. She's new. And so had her do an FTP test, uh, using a power meter for the first time today and just talked her through like why we do this and what an FTP test means. And she saw for the first time that her pacing strategy was not good. Um, she'd been using heart rate and was like, Oh, well, my heart rate stayed at my threshold that we did from the VO two max. I was like, yeah, but see how your Watts go from 270 to 210 at the end. That's, you know, that's yeah. because you went out too hard. And so she, she learned something today and we, we did that in, in my garage. So, um, you know, I, I look at this gig as a, a 24 hour thing, you know, I'm on call to help them out however I can, whether it's taking them to the grocery store or, um, last summer I took, uh, I won the lottery for Hamilton in Oklahoma city, like you oh. the app. And so Very I won. Cool. on my wife's birthday, I win two tickets uh, they were like $10 each for like front row for the touring production of Hamilton. Lucy couldn't go. And I was like, Oh no, honey, I know it's your birthday, but listen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And she and I, she, she and I saw it in Chicago. So it wasn't too bad. And I was like, you know, the story, you know, he came from the Caribbean. Well, we've got a student. I've been working with him all summer. We've become very close. Sharome, he essentially wrote his way into a scholarship and he comes from the Caribbean. He needs to hear the story of Alexander Hamilton. And yes. she's like, yeah, absolutely. Take him up there. Uh, and so on her birthday, I drove him up to, to Oklahoma city and, and we watched uh, Hamilton and he was skeptical, but he, he trusted me. Yeah. And on the way back, he's like, he, he was wowed by it. And I was like, yeah, I, I told you, you can trust me on, on these sorts of things. But yeah, Sharome, you know, he's uh, as a, a Caribbean student, he wasn't able to fly home at Christmas. He's um, was planning on going home this um, this summer, but uh, it's mm-hmm. the coronavirus put pay to that. So we had him over for uh, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Like anyone that's in town, you don't have somewhere to go. You are always welcome, welcome at our house. And so, you know, they're they are my my extended family. Uh, you know, I love all of them. Even the ones that drive me nuts. Um, I, I think. <laughs> well, that's family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I think, and uh, the best has always been when some people that we that really butted heads with me. Uh, I think of Tony Baca, Cameron Lowry, who I've mentioned, Luke Allen. They are some of the people that I'm actually like closest with now and stay in touch with the most because it's like, you know, it's like I kind of hope at least that it's like being a dad where you're doing what you think is best for them and they might not see it at the time and they're going to get mad at you Mm -hmm. they're going to think you're an idiot and don't know anything but whether it's the next day or the next year they they come around and and see what you were going for that you had the the best intentions and wanted what was best for them and so I, i i like to think that i've had that um you know more than a few times with with some of the kids well, Charlie, honestly, uh, just hearing you speak uh, with the passion that you have, not only for your program, uh, but for your kids, as you say, gosh, I want to sign up right now. So I think it's a, it's a, <laughs> well, we have gr- it's plenty a tremendous of great graduate programs. So, or yeah, I don't know if you have a, I don't know if you have a, 
age or a weight limit, but, uh, you know, I'm always, if you Ab- need an alternate, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I have, I, this year, no, cause we had Jason. So I have never been, uh, without someone on the team who wasn't older than me. There's always been at least one. <laughs> Although I, I've been looking, I'm like freshman next year will have been born like after nine 11. Like pretty soon the, the day I will not feel truly old though until one of the parents of the kids is younger than I am. That that'll be the day. It's getting to the yes. point now where it's like we have sort of the same cultural touchstone sometime. Mm. You know, it's like yes. I'll I'll make a you know, Ghostbusters reference or something and they'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always refreshing because that that van there can be some awkward silences if I pull something like that out. <laughs> If someone calls you, well, asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> silence. Just silence. Charlie, uh, this has been one of the most rewarding interviews I've done, uh, whether it be for this podcast or for any, honestly, anything else. And and I, I, tr- I cannot thank you for your time enough. Um, and I'm hoping we can continue this conversation uh, in person sometime. So truly, I thank you for your time. Yeah, well, I'm flattered. Thank you very much. It was nice talking to you. That wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. A big shout out to the pros that make North Texas Cycling Monthly possible. They are podcasts to go. Find them at facebook.com forward slash podcasts to go. If you like what you hear, please rate and review North Texas Cycling Monthly. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell your friends about us. We'd love to hear from you at northtexascycling at gmail.com. Let us know how this podcast best serves your needs. And remember, your world is better when you see it from a bicycle. We'll see you down the road.